Recorded live at Toxin Tasting Studios, it's the Clerical Errors Podcast. The podcast that shows you what's behind the collar. Let's go. From the Tox and Tasting Studios, this is a Clerical Airs Podcast. The podcast that shows you what's behind the collar. This is Bullhagen. This is Berg. And this is Vicker. Welcome to the show. Peter's here. Hey, Pete. Hey, Pete. Uh, how's everybody doing? Good. It's Lent. Hey. So hap- I've got a voodoo ranger because it reminds me I'm going to die. Oh, good. So... Good. I've got a an energy drink, which at six o'clock, probably in the evening, is maybe the best thing. But I had a time to drive to Indiana for a funeral just in time to get back this morning at two. So living the Sounds dream. Like it's needed. Living the dream. Living the dream. Happy to go. It was uh, nice to see cousins and that I haven't seen in decades, and to rejoice in the, the life and salvation of my uncle. So amen. Yeah. So I'm having energy drink and. Usually, if I'm very short on sleep, it means that Peter has to do a little more editing. So I'll try to keep that to the minimum. Uh, so, uh, what do you preach? What am I preaching on, Vicar? <laughs> you are preaching on the Gospel of Matthew, chapter fa- fifteen. You want me to read it, or? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying. Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. But he did not answer her a word. And his disciples came and begged him, saying, Send her away, for she is crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered, It is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. She said, Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered her, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. What do you got, Berg? It's amazing here how you could preach on the exercise of faith in that she comes with true faith and Jesus confronts her as an enemy when really he is his he is her greatest friend that'd be one way you could go mm-hmm. is the exercise of faith which is tested and distilled and beco- and becomes even more pure you could also combine the you could also go back to the previous chapter where Jesus is talking about it's not what is outside of a man that defiles him but what comes out of a man that defiles him right mm-hmm. well, what's coming out of this lady's heart a good confession right right um, and she she holds to uh, the goodness of our Lord Jesus, even when everything was saying no. Even as yeah. the disciples were saying, send her away, she still trusted in, in who Jesus is and what he could do. Right. You could talk about the geography of where Jesus is. Tyre and Sidon are mentioned. Tyre was a place that uh, used to have King Hiram, and he is the one who helped Solomon build the temple. And actually, part of part of Israel was given to Solomon, like 20 towns was given from Solomon to Hiram, and he called it a worthless area, and that is the Galilee of the Gentiles, to which mm. Jesus was called to preach, which foreshadows, you know, I mean, he's in the very region, even though he says he's sent to the lost sheep of Israel, like he's in the very region preaching to the Galilee of the Gentiles, right? Right. So this foreshadows 
that the gospel isn't just for the Jews, but for the Gentiles as well. You could preach about prayer. God answers prayer. Uh, you could uh, preach on holding Jesus to his words, putting God in a headlock. And mm -hmm. the only way you can do that is by concentrating on his words, because the woman doesn't focus that on the fact that Jesus calls her a dog. And remember, dogs are like the equivalent of pigs. You know, this is why Jesus says, you know, don't throw what is holy to the dogs and don't cast pearls before swine. Dogs are unclean. And yet she doesn't focus on that. What does she focus on? The bread. Bread. Right. Mm -hmm. the, the bread that her savior gives her. Right. And that and, she, and she's not desiring anybody else's bread. She's desiring the crumbs. Right. And, and you could also, you know, as you talk about prayer, it's the fact that, well, obviously we confess that someone is not saved by someone else's faith, but I think oftentimes we leave it there. I mean, this demon possession has a spiritual aspect about that too. Right. Um, the other thing you could talk about is the playing God, how mm -hmm. Jesus plays with her in kind of a rough manner, but isn't this the way that we play with our sons? We pretend to be a monster. We pretend to chase them. We pretend to throw them up in the air, right? Right. You know, no or we actually that... do throw them, throw them up in the air. And what do they do? They laugh. They giggle because they know that we're going to catch them. Well, here God is doing the same thing. It, and it, it and it wasn't though Jesus was lying. He was using sarcasm, really. Because well, obviously and... he was sent for more than the the lost children of Israel. Am I lying when I say you know? I'm going to spank my son, and then I run after him, right? No. Sometimes, but like when we're playing, it's not a lie, right? It's not a lie, you know? It's it's for fun, right? It's kind of a contact sport. So, you know, I yeah. I guess we kinda do like, this with our children, and they trust us, and God does the same thing with us. Kind of like when I had a lock-in, and I made a huge pot of very strong decaf coffee. And there the kids go. were running around saying, I have so much caffeine. This is ridiculous. <laughs> the other thing you could talk about is Sidon, because this is where Elijah was with the widow of Zarephath. Mm. And Sidon was also the original homeland of Jezebel, who introduced Baal worship into the northern kingdom. And yet, even in this uh, evil land, Elijah finds faith, right? There were many widows in Israel, and yet Elijah sent to the widow at Zarephath, right? In Sidon. And so yeah. I think all of those things could play into uh, what is being preached on here, right? So Yeah. And and the the Lent aspect of it too is, you know, you went from last Sunday, the temptations in the wilderness, and then now you have the example of faith in not the wilderness, but Tyre and Sidon, uh, and how he brings life and salvation and it's interesting how i wonder how this woman even knew about him and and where did that faith come from yeah who knows probably right. somebody speaking about all the different miracles you know his fame spread far and wide yeah all right let's move on because i want to we've got a lot of content on this show so always i have a top 12 list peter play the intro enough nonsense it's time Four, Bullhagen's top 12. Uh, yes. Remember that, that first month where Vicar's like, uh, Peter, can you play the introduction? <laughs> Peter, you don't you listen will. to Peter, the show. Peter, if you please, yeah. <laughs> run the introduction. <laughs> All right. So um, I was thinking, 
the other day, and one one of the, my morning routines is is getting the shower. And while I'm getting in the shower, I say, uh, if it's an odd day, I only shower on odd days. I'm making that up. Of course, I shower every day. Um, and uh, and so what do I do? I ask the the Google, uh, hey Google, what's the temperature? And it says it's 34 degrees or something like that. And then it says, but it's because of wind conditions, it feels like 24. You guys know what I'm talking about? The feels like temperature? Oh, yeah. The more important one. Yeah. Here, but here's the thing, though. It, how, how come the feels like temperature and the temperature are never the same? I've never had it where it's 24 and it feels like 24. It's because of the moisture content in the air, I'm pretty sure. But that's my point. It's like, just tell me the temperature. I know what 24 feels like in Iowa. <laughs> because right. it's always going to be colder. But if you step outside in 24 while you're soaking wet, it's going to feel a lot colder too. So Right. And, and another thing is, is this feels like temperature? Is that when you have a coat on? I think it's just bare skin. Right. So if it's 35 and I'm standing outside naked and it's windy, <laughs> then it's going to feel like 24. And then... Another thing I think about, maybe I've given this too much thought. So if it's windy and the feels like temperature is 24, does that mean like one half of your body is going to be 24? And then the other side of your body is going to feel like the normal temperature? And then do you, can you average that out so it actually feels like maybe 28? And, and which side does it knows to feel the right temperature? Right. So is anybody with me here? <laughs> Have I lost everybody? Uh, uh, What's I, your point? I, <laughs> are you are you broken? No. Okay. All right. Am I sounding okay? He's just having a really good day. So what I've done in my top 12 list is I have uh, t- 12. The top 12 feels like ratings that are better than that. Okay. Awesome. Number 12. Right. Does this make sense to anybody? I think I'll pick it up sure. as you're going. Yeah. yeah. All right. Go ahead. Uh, the producer is burying his hand, head in his hand. No, no. This is a good podcast. Good All podcast. right. Got to get that content out. Number 12. So one way that uh, I might use the feels like rating system is for a vicar sermon. Your sermon vicar was 15 minutes. <laughs> But it felt like 45. The feels like rating is 45 minutes. <laughs> you see where I'm going? Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, you, you understand? Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> Would well, that be helpful information to you, Vicar? If if I said, uh, well, how was the sermon? Well, the feels like rating on, <laughs> on your sermon was. Yeah. I mean, it's a lot more honest right. rating than just, a, oh, yeah, it was okay. Right. And you say, oh, 25. That, that was better. Yeah, but your sermon was nine minutes, vicar. <laughs> I guess that wouldn't just apply then to a vicar sermon, I imagine. Maybe all sermons should have a feels-like rating. Yeah. When it's really bad, then it's like, it felt like a hostage situation. <laughs> right. <laughs> I think. Yeah, you know, it was, uh, sermon was only 20 minutes, but vicar was preaching. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> all right. Number 11. A drive, right? Some drives just feel longer than other others. Yep. So, for example, if you're driving back at like one in the morning uh, from, let's say, Indiana, and then you get to Highway 3 by Waverly and you're coming back to Hampton, 
That it's is only, the longest drive ever. It's it's only like thirty three miles or something like that. It feels like, especially at the end of the drive, it feels like, oh. And then and then you you pass Dumont and then you get angry. It's like, come on, I'm only at Dumont. Yep. Oh, I know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you had an extra ten miles. Exactly. Number ten, the Ten Commandments. Oh, and I'll give you the example. They feel like six hundred and thirteen. Well, that's one uh-huh. way I was thinking about it, right? <laughs> right. I mean, a good pastor will will f- find the Ten Commandments, one of the commandments in absolutely everything. Mm-hmm. So there's millions of applications. So when in doubt, you can find a, some sort of a commandment in any discussion. But, uh, but the way I was actually thinking of it, the way some commandments are prior- prioritized than others. For example... Uh, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Uh, that has a very low feels like temperature for a lot of people. It's a commandment. It's not just a suggestion. Yeah, third it's option. Got a, it's got a. I got a low feels like rating. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like there are there are none no other commandments that I can think of. Right. Mm-hmm. Where people will will openly say to a pastor, "Yes, I'm actively breaking this." <laughs> my plan is to actively break this commandment. But in a couple of weeks, I plan on not breaking that commandment. So, <laughs> so, but it's okay. Cause God will forgive them. Right. Right. Number nine, uh, at the freak factory. Okay. This is, this is how you can tell you're making progress. Even if you're lifting the same weight, so let's say I throw on two twenty five. It's a nice warm day. I feel like I've been progressing. The feels like weight would be, ah, uh, feels like, you know, 180. Mm-hmm. But if I haven't been eating or getting enough rest or taking too much rest, well, then that 225 is going to feel like 250. So it kind of, you notice this, Vicar. By the way, I added this one for our super fan. I listen, just so you know. <laughs> His last email, he said, we we need more gym stuff. More gym posting. Right. That's why I asked Vicar, you notice this, like, how did that feel? Oh, yeah. Well, that's how you know when you're starting to progress, right? Right. Is when you're like, you know, you're doing a, you're, you're benching one, 105 or whatever, and then it feels like 95. Well, now you can move up finally. Yeah. Number eight. Vacation. <laughs> Some vacations just feel like a better vacation than others. Yeah. Like a day, nothing on the beach. Or a day with nothing on the beach and you end it having a cigar with a sip of tequila while sitting in the water on a warm night. To me, that feels like three days of vacation. You know what I mean? I hear you clucking, big chicken. Number seven. All right. Now, this is an important concept, okay? Uh, Hymns. Yeah. Because this is the rub. A pastor and the congregation nine times out of 10 have a different feels like rating of hymns. So a pastor might pick out his favorite Luther hymn and not understand that the congregation has a different feels like rating on said hymn. So, and that, that often, that often either uh, it can come into conflict with the pastor because the pastor's like, what do you mean? This is a great hymn. Anybody? <laughs> I, I mean, I think people's favorite hymns are the things that they grew up with. Yeah. So yeah. that's why you just have to sing theologi- objectively theologically good hymns 
for the for this next generation because then their pastors will really be thanking you in like 30 or 40 years. That's true. And, and to be fair though, there it happens it happens every pastor's gone through this where people will say, "Well, why don't we sing a hymn, this hymn?" And you say, "We've never sung that hymn." Oh, I'm almost sure we've sung this hymn at some point. Like, no, I don't think we ever have. That's why it pays to have good records. <laughs> number six. Now, usually this for number six, usually they never actually are good. The feels like rating. Very mm-hmm. rarely do you have positive feels ra- feels like rating. And that is a pastor's conference. Right? I, I, I know. know. I always had fun. You know why you have fun? Because you're Cause never I'm the actually, <laughs> you know, because you're never actually in listening to the conference. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're, you're, Come you're, on, you mill no. around more. You get your leather coat on, and I, you, your eyes get shifty. Who's here? Who's here? Who can I talk with? <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, that's part of it. You can make a pastors' conference what you want to make of it. That's true. That's true. And and every once in a while, something will get my craw, and I'll make a comment, and no one understands. Well, this is why I actually think pastors' conferences should be longer because, like, we don't get any time. Well, first of all, the presenters should be, like, 30 to 45 minutes tops. Right. And then, like, an hour off so we can talk because otherwise you never see your friends. You never, like, talk with other people. You never do that kind of stuff. So, Actually, I think uh, if I were ever elected to district president (laughs) – that I would uh, have maybe uh, like half of the time be red teaming. Nice. Bull right? Hagen. Let, let's Hagen. talk about Bull this. Hagen. Like, how do you guys do confirmation? Or how do you guys, let's, what are the pros and cons? Let's let's iron this out. Let's. So are, so are you yeah. going to recruit me to your inner circle if uh, you yeah. get elected? Uh, if you play your cards right. <laughs> <laughs> Number five. Now, there are two sides of this, okay? Two ways that this one is, and that is uh, VBS. Five days of VBS can feel like eight weeks. Yes. Or what's particularly long is, let's say you have 20 minutes left and you've run out of material. (laughs) That feels like four hours. (laughs) Uh, All right. Yeah. Number four. Communion. Uh, the reason I say that is uh, people apply the feels like rating to communion when that really doesn't. When it, yeah, it doesn't really right. apply. So when someone says, well, you want to have communion every Sunday, if you have communion every Sunday, it won't be special. Feel special. <laughs> so what, what actually might have some validity if it means that people aren't actually preparing themselves. That is true. Right. If, if it, if the feels like, Temperature means that they're not active, actively being mindful of receiving the Lord's Supper, preparing for the Lord's Supper, examining themselves before the Lord's Supper. Well, then, then that would be an issue. But simply, it f- doesn't feel special. So it's like, okay, the first time I kissed my lovely wife, uh, uh, it had a high feels-like temperature. Okay, now just because like. It doesn't always feel that special. Doesn't mean I stop kissing her, right? Uh, does this have a high, awkward, feels like temperatures discussion right now, Vicker? It's getting there. We're, <laughs> we're getting up there. All right. 
Three and two both have to deal with temptation. Number three. You have to be careful when temptation has a low feels like temperature. Oh, yeah. Meaning, ah, that doesn't feel so bad. What's the harm? What's the harm? Ah, bad theology. Eh. What's the big deal? Close communion. Eh. Those are ones that uh, can sneak up on you. The, the low feels like temperature of temptations, certainly. Number two. You have to also watch out for the high feels like temptations. <laughs> the other side of the coin. Right. To quote Berg's favorite song, it feels so right. How can it be wrong? <laughs> ah. <laughs> right? What is that? That's a temptation that has such a high feels like temperature. Screw it. <laughs> Bad choice of words. <laughs> and number one. Baptism. <laughs> Let me explain. In baptism, uh, through daily contrition and repentance through this whole process, guess what you're actually kind of doing? You're readjusting your feels-like temperature. What do I mean by that? Uh, sin has a way of getting used to, get used to sin, mm-hmm. right? And what, what might feel like a strong, a conscious, breaking sin, uh, after a while, it loses that. In one way that being buried and risen sin with your sin and all your, your old Adam and your sinful desires, that kind of recalibrates everything so that uh, your sin doesn't have a way of running away with you. In a sense, through this process, you are resetting your feels like uh, understanding of sin. So any comments on my riveting top 12 list? Anybody? Am I the only one interested? Feels like. No, I think it's a good (laughs) topic. like 15. (laughs) I think it's a good topic. Everybody's interested. Feels like no one's interested. (laughs) Oh, we're all riveted here. So. All right. So just so you know, okay, I I made a list of, of all the rejected things that could use a rating, but for whatever reason, landmines, or whatever, I have not did not include these on my list of so various things I could use a feels like rating, but I just didn't go there. All right, you want to hear those? Yeah, yeah. All right. Rapid fire. Uh, yep. Rapid Call fire. Day. Seat belts. Re- All right. Car repairs. <laughs> Having a baby. Television size. Musicals. Piano recitals. Christmas letters. Time between weddings and receptions. Prostate exams. Taco Bell. <laughs> secondhand complaints. Time between engagement and marriage, <laughs> passive aggressive thank you notes, COVID 19, lock ins, animal adoption commercials, ministerial meetings, shingles, Downton Abbey, <laughs> artificial <laughs> sweetness, truck stops, spinal cord injuries, amnesia, colonoscopy <laughs> prep, uh, uh, field education lectures. This Lyme is like the disease, best part of this. MySpace, the shoe carnival, MySpace. Waffle House. And choose your adventure books. Those, those. Oh, are- come on now! <laughs> choose your adventure books are amazing. <laughs> <laughs> the the one that resonated with me the most for sure was time between wedding and reception. Yes, amen. That, uh, amen. <laughs> that, that's pretty good. Do, do you guys want me to riff on any of these? <laughs> no, I think that was the perfect way to do that. Yes. Okay. All right. <laughs> <laughs> hey, would you guys like to add any? <laughs> Number one. 
<laughs> the clerical errors podcast. <laughs> <laughs> the top twelve list. <laughs> the top twelve clerical errors. All right, so we had a question for the po- from the podcast mob, uh, and this is a double mom question because it's from the <laughs> podcast mom, right? About okay. being really a mom issue when it comes to oh. Uh, about being a parent yeah right so uh peter what is the the question here yeah hannah asked a quick question that just says uh, what is the place if any of storybook bibles in the home or school and then she attached a little excerpt from a storybook bible yeah you need to see this do, do you want us to read this out loud yes please do <laughs> yes uh v- vicar all right It'll probably take you about three minutes to read this. I want it to feel like actual three minutes, okay? (laughs) Okay, I'll do my best. All right, it's entitled, Let's Go. After Jesus was baptized, he went straight out into the desert. Now, that might seem like an odd place to go because, as you know, deserts are very hot and there isn't any food or water or places to stay. But Jesus needed to get away by himself and be somewhere quiet and lonely. He needed to be with his heavenly Father to get ready for his new life. In the desert, Jesus thought about the secret rescue plan he had made with God. Before the... (laughs) Sorry, that caught me off guard. Before the foundation of the world, they both knew what would have to happen. To rescue God's children, Jesus would have to die. There was no other way. It was the reason he had to come. Now that old enemy, the one who had spoken through the snake to Adam and Eve back in the garden, remember him? He didn't want Jesus to rescue God's people, so he lied to Jesus. Are you really God's own son? He whispered, poor you, God must not love you. You don't need to die. Do it my way. Yes, and no, Jesus said to the liar, I will do what God says. And from that moment on, nothing would ever be the same. Jesus wasn't like Adam. Jesus was a new kind of man. He would not believe the terrible lie that the enemy spoke. Jesus knew God loved him, and he would trust God no matter what. It was just as God had promised to Adam and Eve all those years before. Jesus had come to do battle against the snake's work. He would get rid of the sin and the darkness and the tears, and he would suffer, but he would win. All right, Peter, I think a little children-type music behind that would really help the feels-like. It would add to the vibe. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, I'll see if I could find something. Uh, So, uh, wow. That was interesting. I don't know where to begin. (laughs) Yeah. Well, can we all agree that that was terrible for so many reasons? Yes. Okay, good. Yes. Was that cap or no cap? That was cap. Definitely cap. <laughs> Definitely cap. <laughs> you know, desert isn't the Sahara here. Like, it's yeah. probably wasn't hot. I mean, one of the, while rough, it probably wasn't barren. I mean, one of the traditional mountains, Mount Quarantania, which is the traditional place of the temptation, is a desolate area seven miles northwest of Jericho. And if Jesus was baptized at Bethany beyond the Jordan, it may be that the place was barren, rocky, and the shore of the Dead Sea not too far from Qumran. Mm. So, I mean, this isn't like sand or not necessarily hot. It could have been barren and cold. It could have been more like Wyoming with, you know, we have a lot of sagebrush and all that kind of stuff, you know? so And, and usually it does, the areas like that actually will get cool, very cool at night. Oh, yeah. Right. Can we also agree that theologically this wasn't very good? 
Yes. Mm-hmm. Like the secret rescue plan that Jesus made with God. I mean, that was, by the way, that, secret rescue secret. plan was the proper noun caps for the first each letter. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the that was literally rescue plan. Yeah. Literally gapped. Right. <laughs> and then how hard is it to say it is written when Jesus responds to Satan or to bring that up? I mean, that wasn't brought up at all. Right. That Jesus actually quotes the Bible. I mean, don't kids understand that? Right. I mean, the purpose of a children's book is to get the child to learn the Bible. But if you're not going to actually read the Bible to them, it kind of defeats the purpose. Right. And so that's the th- that's the other thing here is we should always operate with the principle abusus non tollet usum, which is don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Just because let's go is terrible doesn't mean that other storybook Bibles are bad either. And I think storybook Bibles actually do have their place in both the home and the school, especially for younger children. We use one at home, and it's called The Story of Salvation, and it has excellent woodcuts in it. My son actually loves looking at the pictures for the days of creation, and so he'll say, on day one, God created light. Day two, God created the sky. Day three, God created land, sea, and plants, and the like. And he really likes the end of the book with the arch with the archangel Michael, who defends Moses' body against the devil. So he really likes that. He's got to point out his sword and his shield and his helmet and all that kind of stuff. Now, we all, and that Noah talking with God as he builds the ark, he likes that one too. While these books abridge the Bible histories, they're very, very faithful to the text. And I think that's the most important thing. You don't want to teach your children something that you have to unteach them later because it can be very, very difficult to unteach them false things. Because I will add to that too. When you're dealing with with children of that age, a lot of the things you're teaching them is you're forming their opinion in their worldview more than anything. And so um, I think just having them understand the facts of the story along with some simple explanation, but this kind of, there's so many theological things that that tries to push in it that. Yeah. And not necessarily all bad, but it's just not the place for it. Right. Right. So having, for example, children's Bible story, that book that uh, carefully tells you, explains what is going on. And then maybe has like a one more advanced one that does it is the old advanced uh, Bible history uh, yeah, book. Yeah, that would definitely mm-hmm. be a step up. Right, um, but what it does is it tells you the story. It gives you kind of the straight, this is what happened. But then it says, well, here's some catechism stuff from it. Right, and it also explains the text. So like if there's a part of the text that may be hard to understand, it'll break it down even further. Right. You know, and this goes with... Uh, you know, really the most important 140 Bible passage, you know, Bible stories or Bible histories. And like those books are great if you can find them online. They have everything from types of Christ to some messianic prophecies and their fulfillment, suggestions to, stu- to pupils on how to study a lesson in Bible history and the like. Um, I did want to read here uh, one of the forewords for the Bible history reference books because that might summarize it best for our listeners. Okay. 
The references will be found useful by anyone who is interested in a study of popular selections from the Bible. Pastors and teachers in parochial schools, Sunday schools, and vacation Bible schools have found them especially helpful. Study of the references provides the Bible teacher with the wider historical, social, economic, geographical, archaeological, and doctrinal background necessary from best success in his teaching. The language is simple, and the explanation of difficult words and passages is clear and concise. The maps, charts, illustrations, and historical tables help to visualize much of the content. David Ramirez, who's an LCMS pastor in Wisconsin, and he's got a great blog called LTOMS, Lutheran Treasures of Old Missouri. He gives this recommendation for these Bible reference books. Need to get level 10 out of 10. And he says, seriously, it is really a 10. If you're a pastor or a layman, you should have this on your shelf for a reference of what, it, what the most basic questions and important points to teach are concerning 140 of the most central stories of the Bible. This is a perfect aid for biblical survey classes or the education of children or adults. Parents should especially consider these volumes as they provide to you a resource for opening the scriptures for your children and you. Yeah. Yeah, so one thing you could do is you can use it in conjunction with the Bible. So as the child learns, uh, you can say, oh, this is the story, and, and now let's see what it looks like in the Bible. So that the child can also make a connection that, that we're learning about the Bible, but this isn't the Bible. I think kids can understand that at an early age. This is helping you explain what is going on in the Bible so that they know that the authority is actually from the Bible. I think they can understand that more than people realize. Right. Well, and I think, too, the the way in which a lot of teaching has gone on is directly contrary to what, you know, Luther taught in his preface to the small catechism, right? What should we be teaching these younger ones? Facts, right? Right. That's what we should be teaching them. We should be asking them, you know, the who, what, where, why, and how, right? Tell mm-hmm. us the story. That's it. What did Jesus do? And one one things that uh, Vicar and I, and we go over to the next door to the daycare and teach Bible verses, it, they memorize them very well, about 15 Bible verses in the Lord's Prayer and the Apostles' Creed. Uh, and why? Well, so are they going to understand all of that? No. But they grow into understanding it, and they understand them more the more they learn it. Right. So that's that's the big thing is... Have them memorize when they're good at memorizing. You can always do application later. The problem with let's go thing is that it uh, it really pushes, well, they got to understand this and they got to understand the theological concepts behind it. No, they don't. They just need to know the story. Yeah, because the stories, the, what the stories do is they, they, in a way, they speak for themselves. Yeah. And, and they also provide the foundation for the next step, right? When your kids get a little bit older, then... Start doing more application. And then when they become adults, it's like, oh, yeah, remember what you learned in Sunday school? This is where this applies in your life. Right. So let's take, for example, creation and the fall into sin, right? A very young child could understand God made it. They understand God making something. And they could understand God told them not to eat the fruit. And they did. And that was sinful. It's very simple they that's a world that they live in very well and uh you know are they going to understand genesis 3:15 probably not probably not but if they know the story uh, and and 
they know also Jesus' death and resurrection. As they get older, they'll be able to tie those two together. Yeah, but they can't tie those two together unless they know the stories first. Right. Which is why it's so important to teach the stories before we teach the interpretation or the application because you can't apply something you don't know about. Right, right. I think that's sort of a problem that we run in with just catechesis in general with all ages because you try to apply something, say you try to make an analogy about a Bible story or whatever, but then the people that you're talking to don't know that Bible story and so it goes over their head or they're totally lost because Mm -hmm. they were never made to learn it and Mm -hmm. it makes teaching very hard. One thing I also noticed about uh, the the let's go story that is uh, I think, and I think in our, our church, we're really kind of moving away from this, but the cartoonish look of things. Not yeah, that yeah. you can't have bright colors and powerful imagery, but I think cartoonish uh, can create a, an idea of of um, maybe not serious. A separation out a, of reality. Or this or is always real. supposed to be fun or not real. Right. Right. As opposed to like a Veggie Tales, where they know these are talking vegetables. This isn't real. And if they, I, they I, watch, you know. I, I'm not sure my son would know that, but. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, in a lot of states, broccoli talks. So. <laughs> All right. So, so uh, where are we at? Running out of energy. <laughs> Say something, Berg. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, I guess like learn your Bible passages, you know, learn your Bible stories. If you need to, as an adult, CPH does a great job with the advanced Bible histories. I think they have updated ones. The hundred Bible stories is a good place to start. A children's garden of Bible stories is a good one. I've never looked at that one, but if you, if you think it's good, I, I'd say, yeah. Uh, actually, big... Lutheran Heritage Foundation d- does a lot of translating of those. Oh, good. For, for all over the place in many, many different languages. And Because, uh, yeah, I think people just have to learn them. And if you want to get more out of the sermon, if you want to get more out of Bible class, uh, you know, this is where I think the surveys of biblical books and the like, people just, they don't know. And it makes it really difficult to preach on the Old Testament. Mm -hmm. And then that means that our preaching of the New Testament is actually harder, too, because the New Testament is built on the foundation of the Old Testament. One thing I think every pastor can have this frustration more and more is the fact that how much good education affects their biblical understanding. You know, we're finding it's, it's a lot harder to teach kids a lot of these things, if if they are not used to studying or reading or memorizing and thinking for themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, well, and all- this is why I'm of the opinion, too, that, okay, if you're a pastor, if the kids you're trying to teach are 14, super hard. What you need to do is focus on the ones who haven't even had kids yet or who are about to have kids. And it's like, okay, this is what you do, Okay. You need to teach them to pray. You need to teach them, like, you have to start that early because good habits are very hard to make. Bad habits are very easy to institute. Yes. And so, you know, not to say we should brush off the 14-year-olds, but, you know, you can only do what you can do. Right. And it's way easier if you have that constant 
drip of God's word, you know, eroding their, the stony walls of their heart for years. I mean, I look at my upbringing. We had memorized the catechism by the time we were in third grade. I think we had it memorized again by the time we entered confirmation. Like, yeah. we can do that. That's not hard. It just takes dedication and work. And, yeah, and people willing to do it. In the yeah, I mean, and yeah. that shouldn't be, well, honestly, if you have kids, that's your job. Right. Your kids need to be educated by the parents. They are the principal teachers of their children. If you want to know what God has planned for your life, that's what it is if you have children. Like, you need to teach your kids. That's the most important thing you can do. Now, that might not have the same feels-like rating as sports. <laughs> sports, you know, going to work, making a lot of money, going on, you know, taking your kids to Disneyland twice a year, whatever, right? I mean, but you know what? It's your job to do that. It might not feel like it, but that's the most important thing you can do. Frankly, I would love it if a parent came to me and said, oh, yeah, our kid has memorized a small catechism. You listen to it with the elders, maybe do a couple weeks of intense catechesis, confirm them. That'd be yeah. awesome. That would be awesome. Because Sunday school is not a replacement for the dad. Yep. So. How are we doing on time, Pete? So we're at about uh, 50 minutes, 55 minutes on the recording. Okay. We need to talk about something else. Yep. I just read a biography on Franco. Oh, Franco? you know the Spanish the Spanish dictator. Oh, yeah, yeah. He was really interesting. I thought it was very balanced in his biography. Uh, he said very dumb things like, "I prefer the docile to the competent," and I think that actually is a good lesson for every organization, like even the church. Uh, if all you want is an echo chamber, uh, you kind of suck. Like, you want people to disagree with you. You want red teaming. You don't want an echo chamber. Echo chambers are bad. Right. So I think that's something we can learn from that. He was also a traditionalist who, at the same time, wanted to modernize his state. But then when he modernized Spain, uh, it actually ended up destroying the conservative neo-traditional stuff that he had put in place even before his death. And so I think that really does speak to the fact that in some ways, Marx was sort of right in that capitalism dissolves all bonds except that of money, um, which you're even seeing in more rural areas, especially in terms of land prices, where it doesn't matter if you have family, you don't sell it to them. You sell it to the highest bidder, even though it's going to cost you more. Yeah. It, and So riff on that. I mean, I'll, there we go. I would not, I'll riff on that. Certainly. Boy, this is a random conversation. I did not see this coming. This is awesome. I, I would say that if we're talking about capitalism, capitalism, in order to work, has to be have in it a certain moral foundations. And when those moral foundations fall away, then capitalism can run amok and cause a lot of problems. How do I know? Well, don't you? Obviously, I'm a capitalist, right? I think. But at the same time, you have to include that with the idea of loving your neighbor. And uh, 
and part of capitalism is the fact that uh, you're selling goods that people buy because it's good for them. And if you're able to now hide all the things that are supposed to be good, but not good and differentiate what is, what is good and helpful. Um, I, I don't know. I mean, like our TVs have drug commercials on them. I don't know how helpful that is. <laughs> well, I think that's kind of what you're talking about though, is making sure there's protections for certain things. So that way, I mean, our, our TVs don't push you to go on Ozempic or whatever the latest antidepressant is, right? Because obviously these people are just, or I guess I shouldn't say obviously, but it seems like these people are just out to make a buck rather than they're caring about your, your health. Just like how major shoe brands like Nike and Adidas can ship their production overseas and make a shoe for $20 and then still sell it for $400, $500 in the U.S., I, I, now, so I would say, let me let me rephrase the way I said that. I would say that that capitalism uh, works best when there is an understanding of vocation, uh, meaning that that you're not just collecting a paycheck, but you're you're serving God by whatever you do. And so, so you use the drug companies as as an example, right? Compare that to how did most of our hospitals in our country get started? By Christians. By Christians. Why? To make money? No, to help people. They were nonprofit. And uh, what happens when that runs amok? If everything's about making money or drugs is about making money, that, you know, at the same time, you have to weigh the fact that, well, we have to develop these drugs and that takes quite a bit of expense too. But. A lot of those things you cannot legislate. It has to come from a heart. Right, right. And I don't want anyone to think that I'm an anti-capitalist. Capitalism works great when Christians are capitalists, right? When the righteousness of the heart seeks to obey the law of God. And like, I'm very happy in order to invest my time and my money in stocks where we invest in companies for things like R and D and and that sort of thing, right? Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, should we be careful about who we invest in? Probably. Yeah. <laughs> you know. I mean, you don't want to fund something that's evil, right? But right. you're right. It all comes back to the heart. It's not the political system or the economic system that makes something. You know, like we talked about earlier. See, do you like this? Mm-hmm. Uh, earlier to the text of you know. Uh, of the text that we quoted, right? Uh, mm-hmm. The Syrophoenician woman. It's not what's outside of a man that makes him unclean, but it's what comes, comes out of a man. Out. Which right? is why, really, many different political systems with that same idea over history have worked. Um, it's not just capitalism or democracy. Uh, that's the only way in which uh, the Christian faith can flourish or society can flourish. Well, and I, I can tell you straight up from Franco's biography, like in a dictatorship, an authoritarian dictatorship with autarky, uh, autarky, which is self-sufficiency, the Spanish economy grew from 1939 to 1946. And then they slowly began to libera- liberalize their economy and started abandoning some of those uh, semi-fascist institutions. And that's when their growth really came. But I mean, that also came with a price. I mean, what would we rather have? 
lots of prosperity, wealth, and the like, and which comes with hedonism and materialism and that sort of thing? I don't know. I don't think so. Yeah, I don't. I don't I, think, I so. don't think that's a great trade off, but you know. Yeah, I love I love that. Uh, that was so random. We need to uh, to say to oh uh, to I love how that just. So I read a a biography on Franco. <laughs> That needs like I, I, like a transition, right? <laughs> like it needs so like when we end the one discussion, just like play yeah, like yeah. Like, <laughs> so I read a. <laughs> was there anything Berg that brought you to this this book, or was it just like on the book on the shelf, and you're like, eh, I'll pick and then I picked it up. Uh, I listened to a podcast on Chronicles. They're a paleo conservative oh, magazine. Yeah. And they they talked about this biography, and I'm like, oh, well, I always wanted to know more about Franco. He wasn't really a fascist. Uh, and I kind of wanted to be aware of what's going on because within the Missouri Senate, you know, there are some guys who have made some very silly claims like fascism is the only off-ramp to monarchy. And the thing is, is that Franco's government was never fascist. He used the fascists, but he limited them, he domesticated them, and finally kind of put them off to the side. So, And really, this is the only sort of quote-unquote fascism that actually did end in a monarchy without bloodshed. Uh, Germany certainly didn't have an have a monarch after the second world war uh stalin didn't italy didn't <laughs> so yeah. but this, that's the thing people say stupid things and i like to contradict stupid things kind of a left field question berg but how do you feel about e- ebooks love ebooks i have a kindle that i love to read um right now i'm reading i'm reading erasmus's paraphrases of the new testament which have been oh. very interesting I was curious to know if you were a, like a, a paper book purist or not, because if I was going to recommend a, a Kindle or something, if you didn't already have one. Cause I, I really love like Kindle mine. when I'm traveling because then I can have as many books as I want on there. Yep. And it, I don't have to haul them everywhere. So there's newer I, ones that I think, I think that are bigger too. Like you can get a lot of words on. Yeah. I like the old Kindle fire. My wife actually had to go on eBay and get one for me because- my son broke mine. A and, fire? Uh, it's not a. It's not an e-ink display. Yeah, it's uh, the old fire. Because wow. I, I like how that works. I think it's much more intuitive than a lot of the other ones, and so it's like that's what I wanted. So sure, I I like my my uh, my paper e. You know, what's it called? E-ink display. Okay. Where it looks more like paper. Yeah. It's a little harder to control to like to get into the book, but once you're in the book, it's so much easier on the eyes. Personally, yeah, probably because it's backlit, and so it's a little bit harder on the eyes. But you I know, like I, it. <laughs> I uh, had a. It's interesting. My Mexican hairdresser, uh, or my relationship with my hairdresser, has evolved into. Uh, I'm Does her person. You- I'm the person who she like bounces off. Of, what do white people actually think about this? And then, <laughs> and then, and then she, she's my well what do mexican people actually think about this that's and funny and so we have awesome conversations while she's cutting my hair really have you right. found anything like really different well we are talking about the border stuff this past time oh, okay and she's like how did, how did that go oh she says that that uh pretty much any of the the mexicans who have been here for more than five years are just hopping mad about this. 
I she's bet. like, yeah. why, why is, she goes, why is Biden doing this? And she goes, she said this, nothing was given to us. Mm-hmm. We had to work hard to, and she goes, they're like giving them all this free stuff. Mm-hmm. They're not here to work. Right. And she said, oh, there's a lot of people coming over that are up to no good. <laughs> you know, it's like, so yeah, she was, it was interesting. Cause I thought she would be more sympathetic. I, I used to work with a guy whose father was that exact same way where he, if he ever came across like another Mexican who wouldn't speak like English in public, he would actually go up and reprimand him and tell him about like how, how big of a lazy bum he is because this guy actually worked hard, got, you know, got nat- naturalized, built a family, you know, built a business for himself and his family and absolutely just like had nothing but utter disdain for illegals. So yeah. I, I could see that people who go through that naturalism pro naturalization process. I mean, it's, it takes a toll on you. And then when you see people just being handed it for free, it's kind of annoying. Yeah. She, 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 uh, cause she knows what's going, you know, being Mexican, she knows what's going on more than most. Yeah. She's right. got family in Texas. And one thing she said is, is, is how, uh, they, if a family has a child, their deal dealt with even with more. Mm-hmm. And so there are, there are families who, there are, there are kids who are trafficked. So a family will come with a child. They'll send that child back over and reuse children over and over again. Yeah. yeah ah, wicked. But, you know, and going back to where you're harder on somebody because you went through it, uh, don't you hear the same things with confirmation? Yeah. Right. You yeah, know, but people or or what do you call it? Uh, military stuff, right? Marines. Oh, it's not nearly as hard as when I went through it. Right. Or farming. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think it's funny. Yeah, right. but I think there is a, a difference between like an advancement in technology and a a lessening of of rules and standards. restrictions. Right. Yeah. Standards. Right. Right. Like, I mean, take for right. example, I became a Lutheran as an adult. And so I was never made to learn the catechism. You think somebody who was like born and raised a Lutheran and had to learn it as a child might look at me as lesser or might think that I'm not as good as they are? Well, I wasn't held to the same standard as they were. So, I mean, to an extent, my knowledge isn't as good. I, I, I see it I see mm-hmm. more in the fact of in a small town church, whether you're, you're in a, your family's established in that church or not. Like my grandfather built that church. Yeah, there could be a lot of that going on too. The family politics. Well, and I think too, you know, the older generation wants the younger generation to go through things like this. So that way there are points of understanding because if they have an easier time, you know, then it's right. So, I mean, you know, similar experiences and the like, it's like, I would love to have my son go to the farm and work like I did. It's just not possible anymore. Right. He won't have the same sort of, upbringing that I did just like you know uh the way you grew up Bullhagen wasn't isn't the same way that Peter grew up you know I'm sure there were similarities but yeah you know you also grew up on a seminary which is a very different environment than rural Iowa (laughs) yeah although I was a small town Illinois up until sixth grade oh yeah that's right that's right okay so bro we're the same Dude. Whoa, tubular man. I was, I was a, but I grew up in a golden time though, where, where you had neighborhood friends, 
and your parents could actually trust you. Like, like summer by eight o'clock, I was outside with them and only home for lunch and then dinner. We had like a routine. Like first thing we do is we had a bike, a bike ride that we would do every morning just for fun, which was like old country roads that kind of went around town and each stop had its own thing <laughs> along the so one of it was it had a hill with and it had a, an abandoned barn with a pack of of uh kind of feral dogs right and the dogs knew us mm-hmm. they knew every day that we were coming and it was on a hill so we would like throw rocks and get the dogs all riled up <laughs> and then we'd stand by the hill and the game was the last person to leave one okay yeah and so we would the dogs be coming and we're watching we're watching and you know the brave one who who was the last one to take (laughs) off and then part of it was it had an old bridge that went over the interstate and there are no exits so we would stand on that bridge and spit on cars And Jeff Barsh, uh, we actually convinced him to pee off that bridge onto cars. That's funny. <laughs> and there's nothing they could do. They, were, they couldn't. Yeah, they can't stop. <laughs> All right. Well, great episode. All right. So, thank you for listening. I mean, that was all part of the episode? Are we yeah. keeping all that in? Uh, oh, my. Not all oh, of it. I, some of it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Did you not? I mean, I can cut out whatever. No, no. <laughs> you haven't ended it yet, man. Yeah, so oh. thank you for listening. This is Bullhagen. This is Berg. And this is Vicker. And may your feels like rating be pretty good. Thank you for joining us. This podcast is available on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever else you get your podcasts. Questions, thoughts, concerns? You can contact us on Facebook at facebook.com slash podcast. On Twitter, at P for podcast, or email us at feedback at clericalheirs.org. Thanks for listening to Clerical Heirs. See you next time.